0: Hey, everybody, welcome to Southside Online today. I'm so thankful to be able to hang out with you for just a little while, open up the Bible, share some things with you that I think can help uh, develop your faith, challenge your faith, strengthen your faith, grow your faith, and help you experience God in a very real way. Personal and powerful way, we're walking through concluding a series that we've called "Stories." It's about legacies of faith and uh, people that lived out their faith in in very difficult and trying circumstances and 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 challenging times, and they've seen and experienced God's faithfulness during those difficulties. And um, I think those are challenge those are, those are things that challenge us. They can inspire us, they can move us to, to see and experience God in what I think are many of the same ways, because the God who was present then is the same God who is present today because His word says, He is the same yesterday, today and forever. And so what we see in the beginning of this series and this message today is a verse that's found in Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 1. It says, now faith. It's not yesterday faith. It's not tomorrow faith. It's right now faith. Now faith is the reality of what we hope for. Biblical hope is different than worldly hope. Worldly hope sits back and waits. It's passively waiting for something to happen, and it may or may not come to be. Biblical hope is waiting actively. It is moving forward, believing and trusting that God will fulfill his part of the promise. God is faithful, and he wants us to be faithful. And so now faith is the reality of what we hope for, and it is the proof of what we do not seek. And we say that because we see that because faith is not just something we know. Faith is something that we live. We want to live it out. We don't want to just be a, not, not, not to just come to church, sit in church and leave, not just to turn on your TV and watch a message and leave, but to experience it in your innermost being. And it, it, it challenges you and inspires you and transforms you. And it comes out in your outer being. And, and people see it and, and they respond to that. Faith is, it's not something we just know. Is something that we live. Second Corinthians, the, Paul wrote this. He said, "We walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith and not by sight." That is the life of a follower of Jesus Christ, a faithful follower of Christ Jesus, my Lord. As a disciple of Jesus, He wants me to be faithful. to the the gift and the calling that he's placed on my life and he's done the same for you. And he makes it available for those who don't know him to receive him into their life, be forgiven for their sin and then allow that to come out in joyful obedience and faithfulness so that we can take our faith and we can walk by it. And And so it's a faith that we walk by. It's not by sight. And so today... Today, it's, it's kind of a continuation of, of, of trying to escape the false identity that, that really comes from a, a, a three-headed monster. A three-headed monster that wars against what God is doing in our life. The God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, says the God of this world has blinded the minds of them who do not believe unless the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, would shine unto them. John wrote in 1 John, he said, we have, th- we have this l- battle with the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. All of those things... They 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 kind of carry a three-headed monster that wars against our soul: the devil, the world, and our sinful flesh. The devil is a very real and powerful being. He wants you. He masquerades himself like a like an angel of light, but he is deceiving, deceptive. He's a liar and he's a destroyer. He's come to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life to the fullest. And so the enemy wars against that and fights against it, okay, the devil himself. The world, which is a satanic belief system that is opposed to anything godly, comes against that and really wants to try to fight uh, against what God is doing in this world because the world is opposed to God's redemptive plan for the world. And finally, it's our own sinful nature, our own sinful nature that we're, that we're born with. Today, we experience that. We're seeing that lived out in the battle for identity and gender confusion and all of those different things. I, and, I, and I think it doesn't take long to be able to walk through God's Word, walk through the Bible to be able to see the, the, the way the world, the devil, and our sinful nature really come against the truth, and the power of God. And so how do we combat that? How do we fight that? Well, we look and find examples of people that walk by faith and not by sight. Today, I want to challenge you to move from what is a false identity to the true identity that that we can have that is ours and it's found in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we're going to look at that through the person of a man named Daniel the 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 daniel of the bible has a book carried by his name and the book of daniel is a powerful powerful tool in in not just seeing how to live faithfully but also in prophetic language looking at times to come and what is ahead and so the first six chapters of Daniel kind of show us who Daniel is some of his friends the situation they were in and how they lived in it and the last six chapters deal more with the prophetic nature of scripture and the word of God and the promises of God and so what we see in the book of Daniel is the question of Daniel. What does faithfulness to God look like in a secular world? Or we could say it this way. What does faithfulness to God look like in a world gone mad? In a world gone absolutely crazy and falling off the rails, how can we remain faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ? I believe it is a war for our identity. It is identity theft lived out in the pages of our life. I don't know if you've ever had your identity stolen. But every person on the planet, whether you realize it or not, is being pursued by the God of heaven because God has your true identity and the greatest forms of blessing he wants to pour out on your life. But you also have an enemy that is coming against that and wanting to pull us away to live out this false identity that may feel good temporarily, but it's not, it's not how we were intended to live. It is a war. It is a war for your identity three things today. Number one, we see the enemy's plan to rename you. And we see that lived out in Daniel chapter one, the enemy's plan to rename me. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and laid siege to it. This is a historical battle. It really happened. You can find it on the pages of 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles, nearing the end of those letters or books of the Bible. But here we see a specific reference to the time of year or the time in history when it took place. In the third year in the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and, and what is happening, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the most powerful empire in the world at that time, is coming against the people of Israel. We know that that is happening and we know why it is happening because Israel Israel, prostituted itself in idolatry, turned away from the one true living God and is following their, the, 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 the gods that are around them. And and so they're living by the standards of the world rather than the principles and truths that are delivered by God to his people. And so here, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and laid siege to it. The king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his court officials, kind of like his chief of staff, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and from the nobility. What would happen in this type of setting is when a nation would come in or an empire would come in and take over a country or a group of people, many people would die. Okay? A lot of people would be killed. Sometimes they would be entirely wiped out. That was not the case here, okay? The people that were still alive, some would be banished into exile and poverty. Some would be taken into Babylon, into that empire, and kind of uh, uh, melted into its culture. But there were some, there were some that, that were kind of the pick of the litter. And Nebuchadnezzar would do this. He would come in, take Ashpenaz, they would come in, they would find some of the Israelites from the royal family and from the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, good-looking, suitable for instruction in all wisdom, knowledgeable, perceptive, and capable of serving in the king's palace. So they would take some and they had some certain characteristics and standards that they were looking for. The royal family, nobility, people, men that had no physical defects. They were good looking. They were suitable for instruction in all wisdom. They were knowledgeable, perceptive, and capable of serving in the king's palace. This is what they would do. And they would teach them the Chaldean language and literature. They would indoctrinate them into their way of life, okay? This is a classic illustration of indoctrination. And they would bring them in, and once they would indoctrinate them into their way of life and their culture, they would then spit them back out into their their region, their empire, sometimes even going back to the land from where they were from so that they could establish that Babylonian culture and way of life. I heard it referred to this way one time, the Babylonian way. And the Babylonian way still exists today in our day and time in which we live, controlled by a media message that wants you and I to only hear what they want us to hear. They don't, they, and it's, it's just, it just perpetuates this false assumption, identity, belief system, all of these things that help form this identity in you that they want you to have. Meanwhile, the God of heaven breathed air into your life. He formed you in your mother's womb, made you for a personal relationship with him, made you to be, to be uh, craft, remade into his image and, and, and then put out into the world and did shine bright for everyone to see. And so, so one leads to eternal life, one leads to eternal death. And the Babylonian way were wars against the godly way. And, and, and so much of our sinful nature is prone to go that way, to go toward that false identity and that false message. And, 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 and when we run away from what God wants in our life, well, which one wins? The one that you and I feed the most. And so I can stand here today and I can rant and rave and preach against the identity gender confusion message today, or I could present it to you like this. That there is a God, the God of all creation that forms you and made you, that loves you infinitely more than you could ever possibly imagine, has given his life for you so that you can be forgiven, so that you can know who you really are and who you were made to be. You can find that in him, live it out to the absolute fullest of your life with all joy and peace that you could possibly experience. Who wouldn't want that? This is what is the battle that they were facing. And it's the same battle that you and I face today. The king assigned them daily provisions from the royal food and from the wine that he drank. Hey, they got the best of the best. You know why? Because there was an indoctrination going on. There was an underlying principle that was taking place. And so they were given the best food, they were given the best wine, and they were to be trained at that day and time in the best literature, the best language, in the most powerful nation in the world or empire in the world. They were to be trained for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to serve in the king's court. I mean, really. I I, I mean, you read this and you think, how? Could it get, I mean, I mean, this is kind of the best of the, of, the, of the way it could have gone for me. I could have died in a battle. I could have been left to fend for scraps. I could have been just chunked into an empire and, and again, kind of survival of the fittest. Or I could be having this, menta- I could have this happen to me. This seems like a pretty good setup. And among them, from the descendants of Judah, were four men that God specifically names, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, okay? And the chief official gave them other names. Interesting. He gave the name Belteshazzar to Daniel. That just sounds good, doesn't it? I mean, if I'm Daniel, eh, it's good. I mean, you know, Daniel, but we're going to call you Belteshazzar. I mean, that's, that's a powerful name, man. It's got, it, kind of, it kind of fires you up. Shadrach to Hananiah. Oh, well, you know Shadrach. You know, you know I mean, it's, it's all right. Hananiah, Shadrach. Eh, kind of, instead of Han, it's Shad, all right? So I kind of like that. Meshach to Mishael. All right, that's okay. And Abednego to Azariah. All right, cool. So they gave them a different name. Now, you have to understand that these were probably... 15, 16-year-old young men at this particular time. Probably also have to understand that their family's dead, okay? Because their family was nobility. Those, their, their family were, were high-ranking officials in the, in the Israeli government. So they're probably dead. And so these young men have been ripped from everything that they know to be true, and they, they've, they've watched the slaughter of their family, okay? And now they're given a different name, Why? Because their names were significant, they the, what the Babylonians understood about the Jewish culture and the Jewish history was that their names were symbolic. Their names meant something. It wasn't just a name given to them. Their name had meaning, history, heritage, legacy, and they had to shape. They had to change that. They had to reshape that because they were indoctrinating them into a way of life. So they gave them new names, which leads me to the question: because in a war for our identity, the enemy is trying to rename you. And, and so who has God made you to be? See, I, I mean, I can ask the question, who are you? And I, you can say, hey, who are you? I can tell you. My name's Jeff Williams. I can tell you who my mom and daddy are. I can tell you where I'm from, where I'm raised. I can tell you who my wife is, my kids, the names of my kids. I mean, I can tell you a lot about me. But, but if we, the, the closer we get and the more we get to know one another, the deeper we're going to get into questions about who we are. Because who we are beyond surface level deals with our personality, our gifting, our, 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 our ability to, to, to accomplish tasks and live life the way, the way we believe that it was intended to be lived. But who has God made you to be? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul tells us, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, you're either in Christ or out of Christ. All right, He's, he's either in you and you are in him or he's not. That's really the way it plays out. Either you are or you're not, okay? So Paul said if anyone is in Christ, remember before this 2 Corinthians 5, 7, he said we walk by faith and not by sight. So therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, brand new, brand new. It's it's, it's like going to a, a car dealership and buying a new car. It ain't nothing like that new car smell. I mean, that's part of the selling feature. When you sit in it and you get that new car smell, you're like, oh. But, you know, eventually it kind of goes away. But there's something powerful about that new, that new smell, that new scent, that new thing that's going on, a new house, a new this, a new that. Well, I'm talking about a new life. I'm talking about being clean on the inside. I'm talking about removing shame, fear, regret, and guilt. I'm talking about taking off the old and putting on the new. I'm talking about removing death, dead and and coming back to life. He is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and look, new things have come. And he moves forward a little bit, and he says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Because we're because we are created new in Christ, it's not just you're not just made that way to come sit in a church building for an hour every time you feel like it or you need a fix. It's 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 it's, it's a brand new way of living life. It's a brand new way of experiencing life. And he said, because of that, we are ambassadors. We are representatives for Christ. Because we are certain that God is appealing through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We should want other people to experience what we have in Christ. We should want other people to know what we have found in him. Because the relationship with Jesus Christ is a brand new something that changes us, recreates us, transforms us from the inside out. And so when we see that and we go to begin to see what their names mean, Let's go look at the names of these men. Daniel, whose name meant God is my judge. To Belteshazzar. This sounds so big and so powerful. But in the Babylonian culture, it was not a, it was not a masculine name. It was feminine. Interesting, in the world of our gender, gender, gender confusion and identity problem, we're trying to take him from a masculine figure to a feminine one. It's more like, it's not Belteshazzar. It's not Belteshazzar. (laughs) And and so he went from God as my judge to lady, protect the king. Hananiah, God has been gracious to me. To Shadrach, I am fearful of God. So a place where God has been gracious and should lead you to love and confidence to a place where you're afraid of him. Hmm. Mishael. Who can compare to my God, to Meshach? I am despised and humiliated. Finally, Azariah, God has helped me to Abednego, the servant of Nebo, which was the God of fruit and vegetables, (laughs) the God of vegetation. So the God of all creation who has helped me to just the servant of the God of the land. The question today, when it comes to the enemy trying to rename you, is not what is he trying to do in my life, but who, does, who has God made you to be? Because if anyone is in Christ, he's a brand new creation. See, a godly impact begins with a firm commitment to God. A godly impact begins with a firm commitment to God so that you know who you are in him. The enemy, the war for your identity begins with the enemy's plan to rename you. Number two, it's the enemy's plan to reshape you. Because he doesn't just want to rename you, he wants to reshape you. He wants to shape you into his image, into his identity, into his plan for your life. And it's totally contrary to what God wants to do in and through us. In Daniel chapter 1, it said, Daniel determined. Another version of the Bible says, Daniel purposed. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. So he asked permission from the chief official not to defile himself. What we see in the life of Daniel is a foundation that has been set by his family. It is a firm foundation that is built on the principles and the teachings of Yahweh, the God of all creation. And that is present in his life when everything has fallen apart around him. He still stays true to the principles that his family gave him. He determined in his heart that he would not defile himself. Why why should he not eat the food and drink the wine? Because that food, that meat, and that wine were, were items that had been offered to idols. And idolatry was something that the Ten Commandments of God explicitly told him to stay away from. Because... You shall have no other gods before him. And so Daniel determined he wouldn't do this. And so God had granted Daniel favor and compassion from the chief official. So Daniel asked permission. And the chief official said, I can't do that. Daniel, I, found, you found, I, I like you, Daniel, but I can't let that happen because if Nebuchadnezzar sees you looking frail and not like the other people, he's going to kill me. I'm going to be the one that suffers. So instead, Daniel, full of wisdom, goes to his handler, to the guy that's ultimately in charge with him, and he says, would you test me and my friends? And, and, and for 10 days... Just give us vegetables and water. And after 10 days, if we don't look healthier, more well-nourished, and better off than these other Hebrew men, then then we will adhere to your principle. And so the man agreed. And it says this. It says at the end of 10 days, they looked better, they looked healthier than all the young men who were eating the king's food. And so, so when we see this, we see what the enemy wants to do. He wants not just to rename us, but to reshape us. And when the enemy tries to rename you, you've got to ask yourself the question, who am I? Who am I in Christ? Am I going to serve Christ, or am I going to serve the devil? I mean, it's really Jesus or the devil. You pick. And so I either have, when I choose, if I say no to Christ, then the devil will be my God, the world will be my my teacher, and the flesh inside of me will be the one who adheres to that and follows that. Conversely here, when I say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God is placed inside of me, becomes my teacher, and begins to replace the the sinful nature with the godly nature. And so I just have to pick. I got to say which one is better for me, which one is right for me, and I'm going to say 10 out of 10 times 100% of the time, the Lord Jesus knows what's best for you because he made you. And so the enemy doesn't want to just want to rename you, he wants to reshape you. And So the question goes from God, who am I? Who are you? who have you made me to be to now what has God made me to do? Not just made me to be, God, what have you made me to do? Titus chapter 2, Paul writes this For the grace of God has appeared with salvation for all people. God's grace has appeared with salvation for everyone, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lust. Say no to those things and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in this present age. Say no to godlessness and worldly lust so that we can say yes to living sensibly. Okay, common sense, sensible living, righteous, godly living in godly ways in this present age. He says, while we wait for the blessed hope, and we appear, and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse us for himself, a people that is his own possession and eager to do what is good. See, a godly impact requires sacrifice to keep from being polluted by the culture. It's not just, God, who have you made me to be? The question then becomes, God, what have you made me to do? Well, ultimately, it becomes this: I just saying no to the devil, the world, and the flesh, godlessness and worldly lust, so that I can say yes to sensible, righteous, and godly living. Because Jesus Christ is the one who wants what's best and gives me what is best for my life. God, what have you made me to do? You've made me to say no to those things, so that I can say yes to the best things. And if I'm going to make a godly impact, I've got to sacrifice so that I can keep from being polluted by the culture. In the war for our identity, the enemy has a plan to rename you and reshape you. But God, he has a desire to reward you. God wants to reward you. Ultimately, the Bible says that the enemy, the thief, the devil, has come to steal, kill and destroy. but Jesus said, I have come to give you life and give it to you abundantly. God gave these four young men knowledge and understanding in every kind of literature and wisdom. Daniel also understood visions and dreams of every kind. Nebuchadnezzar interviewed them and among all of them, no one was found equal to Daniel. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And so they began to serve in the king's court. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding that the king consulted them about, he found them ten times better than all the diviner priests and mediums in his entire kingdom. God, who have you made me to be in Christ? God, what have you made me to do in Christ? And finally, why have you made me to do it? God, why have you made me to do these things? 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter wrote, you are being protected by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last days. God wants to reveal his saving power and saving grace through you. You rejoice in this, though now for a short time you have had to struggle in various trials so that the genuineness, the realness of your faith, more valuable than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, a godly impact creates a powerful and undeniable presence in and through your life. We have a choice to make. Today you have a choice. You can abandon a post to which you were assigned and from which you have no permission to leave. Or we can be who we were made to be. It's a war for your identity. It's a battle between Satan and God it's a battle between a loser and a winner you just have to decide which side you're going to pick if you choose the side of the devil the world will be your guide the sinful nature will be what tries to please and satisfy your, your appetite. If God, the Lord Jesus Christ, is your Savior and Lord, the Holy Spirit of God will be the one who shows you the way and rescues, redeems, and regenerates an old man and transforms him into a new one. One leads to eternal death. The other leads to eternal life. And today you get to choose. Today is the day of salvation. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, then I'm going to invite you to pray with me right here, right now, at this moment. And say yes to the free gift of salvation that's available. And invite the God of heaven to not just save you, but to begin to work in you and through you so that you can experience His life and His power. Would you pray with me? If you don't know Christ, confess Him today. Say this. Say, Father God, I believe in You and I believe. I believe You sent Your Son to be my Savior. Say to Jesus, Jesus, I'm asking You to forgive me today for my sin by Your grace and make me right with You. Jesus, be the Savior and Lord of my life because I'm ready. I'm ready to follow you and I'm ready to say yes to you today. Listen, if you prayed that with me today, then take the next step. Comment below, let us know. Reach out to us. You can reach out to us through our website, through our Southside Church app. We would love to connect with you, help you take the next step. And come be a part. Come be a part of our church, our church family, and see what God is doing right here and let him begin to help you experience the very same thing. I pray you have a great day. God bless you. See you soon.